Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. So we put them all around. But I, I want to tell you this right from the very beginning that um, this is how I have personally always seen church. Um, I've, I've never in my life dreamed of big, massive facilities. I've always dreamt of a, of a church operating in revival. Do you know what I mean? Um, so uh, I remember when we started Providence, we started in my living room, and there were six of us, um, and there was my wife and my son, who is an infant, uh, and then there was Philip and Carrie with Anna, who is an infant, and, and all that matters is, is Jesus going to show up with us today? And, uh, and so then we moved and we bounced from dance studios to other structures. Some of them had stairs. Some of them didn't. Some of them were heated. Some of them were not. But all along, the, the, the cry of Providence has always been, we don't care where, we care who. It's not about the facility. It's about the Savior. Uh, and so at church, I would receive this, this, um, this old truth fresh and new today, that God wants to meet you right where you're at. And he doesn't care about the facility, um, and, uh, and he kind of likes that we're in the simplicity of this tent here today. I kind of like this. I kind of like this. All right? I remember when, um, when we first got the news that we could not use the school, I feel like the, the Holy Spirit whispered to me in a lot of peace, that's the last time you'll ever be there. And so we started setting our, our sights on this tent, and now we're, we're just fanning ourselves, and now we've got our kids with us. And I, I want to tell you, church that God is up to tremendous things, stripping down all the, all the uh, this stuff that doesn't matter and focusing on us on what does. Amen? Amen. I just want to let you know that this is, uh, these are days for me where I'm expecting more than I can uh, tell you. And so it's really good. And I, I want to tell you this. It is so good to not just be staring into that. It is so good to be actually looking at people. This is, this is nuts. Man, I almost forgot what this was like. So, Good. Well, guys, um, grab your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 4. I want us to dig in here, and I'm going to do my best to really get to the point and really hit us with this, because afterwards, um, we're going to be partying, and we're going to catch up, and we're going to be doing tours of the new facility, and we're going to be eating Ilias hot dogs, um, and it's going to be great. But I believe that I've got a a word for us today that God wants to bless us with. Galatians 4 uh, contains a lot of that, but there's a lot more to it, and we're going to be all over the the Bible, and so stick with me today. But Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 4, going to, uh, to verse 7, says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. And here's what that spirit cries that God has sent into our hearts is Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This morning, church, I want to talk about revival, and I want to talk about what what revival um, actually is. In the beginning of of this year, actually at the end of 2019, I really sensed God telling me that what he wanted to do at Providence was three things. He wanted us to become family. All right, that's number one. 
And he wanted us to build people. That's disciple people. That's number two. I, I don't want to be uh, an organization that just gathers people. I actually want people to be built as a result of our family gathering, right? And then I also believe that, that God wanted us to uh, pioneer revival. Now, when I say that, pioneer revival, and probably that is not the first time you've heard that, when I say pioneer revival, many of us think a, a whole different array of thoughts. Um, I, some of you, when you think pioneer revival, this is what you think of. Being in a tent, there's sawdust on the ground, people are going crazy, a lot of people are crying, the preacher's angry, veins are popping, sweat is flying, all right? And you feel so bad that you run to the front, all right? Uh, some of us think about that. Others, we think of this tent, and it was a tent like this or a meeting like this where we first encountered the real Jesus. We're like, Wow. Um, then others of us, when we think of revival, we, we think of scheduled meetings that happen throughout the year where an evangelist comes in. Or we, the, the list goes on and on and on and on as far as what we think about when we think about revival. But I want to discuss what I mean when I talk about revival. And what we mean at Providence when we talk about revival. And I want to just begin this conversation because it's more than I can uh, describe to you today. But I want to talk about revival um, and, um, and what, what it is is what we mean by it. The word revival at its root actually means to live again. So we're talking about something being revived. We're talking about something that was once alive, but now it is not. It's, it's dormant. It's, not, it, it's, a, it's a shell of, of what it was. It's, it's not living in its potential. It is, it is something other than what it was born for. And so we're talking about revival. We're talking about God's heart for the church to be alive the way that God designed the church to be. Not hibernating, not looking, not pretending it's alive because it's gathering, but actually operating in the destiny and the calling and the heartbeat that God has for the church. How many of us, we want to, uh, to live fully alive like the church that Jesus bled and died for and rose again for? Some of us do. That is good. That is good. That the very first sermon that I preached in, uh, in 2020, it was January 5th. Today's July 5th. Uh, it was January 5th, 2020. I, I talked uh, about the key to revival being repentance. And now here, six months later, I think, or five months later, here, here we are. And the key to revival being repentance. But, but let's kind of go a little bit deeper today because there's some truths that I believe to be at the heart of revival or, in other words, the heartbeat of revival. Let me get right to it. Here's, here's number one. Here's the truth that is at the heart of revival. This is what I mean when I'm talking about God wake us up to being the church, being the bride that you, uh, you have dreamed us to be, number one, is that here's, here's a heartbeat of revival, that the church is revived to the reality that God is a father, okay? We, that it doesn't matter the signs and wonders that are happening if we see God as an angry judge, not a loving father. So the, the church has to be alive to these foundational truths, that God is a loving father, that he is the father who the prodigal was coming home to, and he didn't chase his son off with a spanking. He welcomed him home and met him on the road. He actually ran to his boy. And then he went to his son in the field, and he's beckoning him to come home. He's not in anger punishing. He is in love wooing his children. That God is a loving father. 
I think so many of us are more comfortable with God being a judge that saying, here's a checklist of rules, here's a checklist of responsibilities, you better do them, or I punish and discipline, I toss out viruses, I, I, I bring turmoil on the earth if you don't live according to my rules. Guys, that is not good theology. Good theology is, here's how it starts. God so loved the world that he gave his son. He came after us first, right? And so God is a, is a father, and he's not building an organization. He's not building a well-oiled machine. He's not building something that you need executives to operate. He, he's not building, building something that is, that is heartless and lifeless and that, that, uh, that just, as long as we're moving forward, that's all that matters. God cares about the one that was lost, and he stops everything for him or her. God is a father, and what he's, what he's building is not an organization. He's building a kingdom family made of sons and daughters. This is, when, when, I, when I'm talking about revival, I'm talking about waking up to the reality of this very biblical truth that we've, we've lost. And when the church doesn't get that God is wooing me with love, when the church only follows God supremely out of fear, then what you get is you get a shell and you get no power. And I want to be a part of a church that is so moved by the heart of the father that I run home as a son. I'm not a daughter, but if you are, you run home that way. <laughs> Psalm 68, 5. So this is, this is listen, we, we, see this, we see this truth throughout the whole of Scripture. And I think uh, most specifically we see this in the New Testament and how, how Jesus, do you know what Jesus taught us to call God? Father, when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, you seem to be a good prayer. <laughs> teach us how to pray. Jesus says, Father in heaven, you're holy. Even in the Old Testament, though, Psalm 68, verse 5, God refers to himself as the father of the fatherless. This is how he does when, when God is, is calling, um, well, let me tell you this, Jeremiah 31.9, here's how God describes himself. He says, I am a father to Israel, Israel being his covenant people. I'm a father to you, Israel, his covenant, those I am in covenant with. I, what I want to do is I want to father you. And he goes on to say in, in Jeremiah 31.9, I not only want to father you, but I want to keep you as a shepherd keeps his flock. I want to, I want to guard you this way. This is, when we talk about the father, this is what we're talking about. This is how God refers to his ministry to us. Jesus taught us to pray to the father. What is, I know I've already been here, but I want to revisit this because I think that this morning chains need to break in order for revival to happen. But do you know, if I'm being really honest, that if I want to preach a message where I get a lot of encouragement, you know what I preach? God hates sin. You hate sin? Good. You don't? Repent. And if I do it in that voice, it's even better, all right? <laughs> and, and I think what is, because we have grown accustomed, it is easier to have a checklist Christianity than it is to be lovesick for dad. It is, so, it is so much easier. And you can program that all day and night. And it's so simple. But to have people that are actually intoxicated with Father's love and are, are accustomed to the cries of the Spirit. Do you know what the Spirit cries? Is Abba Dad, Abba Father. And that kind of church looks crazy and messy. That kind of church would, would meet in 159,000 degree heat and sweat all over one another in the middle of a global pandemic. 
That kind of church would do that. But, but here, and it is so much messier, and it's, it's so, it's so uh, much more difficult to lead, but the, it, is, it is the biblical mandate that the Father is, you've got to see me, not first as judge, but love, because if you see a God who's judge, uh, you will never trust his love, and if you don't trust his love, you won't come home. Romans 8.15 says this, you did not receive the spirit of slavery fall back into fear. Now listen to this. The spirit of slavery operates with a, a fear as its foundation, and, and fear is a fear. But here's what Jesus says. I didn't give you originally that foundation. I've given you the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. This is what I've given you. I have given you. Here's your foundation. It's not that you produce good works by being so scared of me that you operate in fear. It's that you produce good works because you've been adopted as sons and you love being a part of the family and the spirit that I then put in you cries, Dad, come close. This, my friends, when we talk about revival, this is what I'm talking about. And so God is a father that loves his sons and daughters, and the kingdom that he's building is a family consisting of adopted sons and daughters. I started out reading Galatians chapter four, but let me just read it again in case you missed it. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, here's why, adoption as sons. Because you are sons. This, this is this, uh, when we're operating in, in revival and the Father's heart, we're operating in the true identity of who we are in Christ. And Jesus says, you're sons. And it, it, because you're sons, God has spent, uh, sent his, the spirit of his son, that's Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you know who you are? You're God's girl if you're in Jesus. Do you know who you are? You're God's son. If you're in Jesus, do you know who you are? Is you're not you're not a servant trying hard for Jesus. You are an heir receiving the kingdom. And this is when we're talking about revival, church. I want us to be alive. We have to awaken to this. This is not what I was taught growing up. I was I was taught, you know, I was taught a fear-based message that had me trying. But God was always. I would listen to, do you remember what these things are called record players? You remember those things? I was born in 78, so I, I had some record players. And I remember listening to people like David Meese and uh, Michael W. Smith. I'm not proud to say it, but I did, okay? And Sandy Patty, that was a good one. Uh, but also, uh, also Keith Green. Yeah. Keith Green. And there's nobody, it's, it's like he's say, when he's saying, I could hear the Father singing over me. And that is a biblical concept. Don't you know that Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17, actually says that God sings over you, he rejoices over you like you're his children because you are. And so the, what, what the, the whole of scripture has been pointing to is not that God stomachs you, but he wants you, and he's come after you, and he's paid for you, and when you were outside his kingdom, he welcomed you in, as, as sons and daughters, and we have to be alive to this, uh, very, very alive to this. So God is a father building a kingdom of, building a kingdom family of sons and daughters. When we talk about revival, that's, I'm talking about uh, walking into the depths of this, but I'm also talking about this, and we started Providence. This has been really, if there's any, any sermon I've ever preached 
at Providence is that Jesus is everything. He's better than everything. He's supreme over everything. He's better than sin. Every sin from the beginning of time until the end of time, you put them all together, and they don't hold a candle to the treasure that Jesus is. When we're talking about revival, we're starting to see Jesus for who he is. And, And Jesus, listen to this. We've got to stop talking like this. That Jesus is not the means that just gets you to what you want. So you use Jesus to get what you really treasure. It, biblically speaking, you use Jesus to get him. Because he is the goal and he is the treasure that your heart was fashioned for. So we're talking about revival. We're talking about not seeing Jesus as a tool, but seeing Jesus as the treasure. Where he becomes everything to you. Absolutely everything. Now, now friends, this is how you fight sin. You don't fight sin by trying to resist and get an accountability partner. Those things are fine, but if you don't think in your heart that Jesus is better than the lie that the sin is presenting, you'll fall. And so here, everything hangs on your heart seeing Jesus for who he is, and that is the treasure of all humanity, the darling of heaven. Everything you've ever desired is wrapped up in this person. Jesus, he's greater than all other treasures put together. This is one of a life passage for me is, is Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, that says, where Jesus is saying like this, you want to know what the kingdom is like? The kingdom is like a man who found treasure hidden in a field. And in his, in his joy, he runs home and sells everything he has to buy that field. Well, how is the kingdom like that? Because when you find that Jesus is the greater treasure, is the treasure that you've always wanted, it is easy for you to leave your old life in place of the new one. Everything about, liquidate all my assets. I'm buying this field, I want this man. Philippians, do you, do you like the Bible at all? Or do, you, do you ever read that? Um, so Philippians chapter three, listen to this. This has been a verse that's fought for my heart over the years when sin has looked deceitfully good. But whatever gain I had, Paul says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And this isn't, you know, gain is not bad. Gain is good. But sometimes gain can be your treasure. And when gain threatens the place of treasure in your heart, then it's bad. Right? The the kind of person that can exist under the downpour of heaven's blessing is the kind of person that treasures Jesus so much that no matter what they're earthly blessed with, it never steals their heart or their affections. That's the kind of person God can bless. So here, Paul was saying, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I actually count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I found a treasure in a field. It is far superior to everything I have ever owned. It's, It's a far better promise than all the other empty promises. And the heartbeat of fighting sin is seeing Jesus is greater than sin. It's not checklists and tactics. Those things only work when Jesus is the treasure of your soul. The heart of of knowing that sin is a horrible substitute, a second-rate pleasure. And so when when I started out five months ago talking about the key to revival is repentance, this is what I meant. Anything that has stood in place of Jesus in my life that I believed would be better than him, that has defamed him and dishonored him in my heart, I lay it down on the ground. Every opinion I've ever had, everything that has ever taken the position of treasure in my heart, I repent of, and I put Jesus back there. Psalm 84.10 says this, 
a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And this, my friends, is the heartbeat of revival. When you say, God, listen, I would like to be a doorkeeper that even stands outside of the holy place just to get a few puffs and whiffs of you now and then, rather than live in the tents of unrighteousness and everything that happens in them. I just want to be near you. And that's, when we, so when we're talking about revival, we're talking about treasuring Jesus far above everything. There is nothing that compares. He is superior to it all. He is our everything at this church. That's what I'm talking about. Hearts alive to Jesus in that way. But here's another fun one. You want one more fun one? And then we will release you and we'll see what God wants to do in us. All right. But it's not only that God is a loving father building a kingdom family made of sons and daughters and that Jesus, seeing Jesus as the treasure of your heart and your life. But it's also this, you have to see that the Holy Spirit is your intimate ally and friend. I think this is honestly, um, the other two are hard, but this one's really hard. Because what we're taught today in, uh, in, in the church uh, often is that you have to be scared of the Holy Spirit. And that when he moves, like he, you've got a box and you can move in this context. But dare you, remember the Holy Spirit's not a mist or a thing or a vapor, the Holy Spirit is a person named God. <laughs> no less than Jesus or the Father, the Holy Spirit is God. Not, not, not a, a, a thing, not a mist. This is when you learn to operate in the Spirit, you're not learning how to use the force like on Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, just like the force is with you. I feel it. Uh, but it's not it. The Holy Spirit is a person and he wants to be your ally and friend and he, he wants to make you extremely uncomfortable to take you to deeper depths than you've ever been. Uh, we love to splash around where, where the water comes up to our ankle, but um, the Holy Spirit I know in my life is always calling me to get way deep and to go out with the sharks and to swim with the whales and to go just deep into his heart and the mystery of who he is. The Holy Spirit wants to be my intimate friend and he wants, we, he wants me to say good morning to him and he wants me to sleep in his presence. And he, he, want, he wants to be uh, the, 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 center, the center of my strength. You know that our strength doesn't come from things and horses and chariots, but our strength comes from the Spirit of God. This is, this is just the basics of theology. And what I'm saying that we're talking about revival, we want to say, Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Just do whatever you want to do. We're not giving you guidelines. You give us guidelines. We're not telling you what you, what you can't do. I, we want you to tell us what we can. That the Holy Spirit desires to radically change you, listen, into the real you. And many of us, we love operating as the slave that we felt. It feels more spiritual to us. But Holy Spirit won't let us operate as a slave because the, this, the, he operates in the spirit of adoption as daughters and sons. And so many of us, the, the kind of Christianity that we've created is this Christianity that says, okay, listen, I'm gonna read my Bible. That'll get God off my back. I check it off, check it off, check it off. I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna hope that God's happy with me. But God's not happy with you based on how well or hard you served, or how faithfully you served your church attendance or your record and this and that. He's happy with you because you're a son and daughter. You're the righteousness of Christ. You have imputed to your spiritual account the righteousness of Jesus. So when the father was speaking over the son at his baptism, saying, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. Now in Christ, that's what the father screams over you. And this is what the spirit reminds you of. You're new. 
brand new creation, the new you. You can't go back to who you once were. Desiring things that you weren't created for, small loves, enjoying little lovers. But your Holy Spirit is, is saying, I'm putting a cry of intimacy in your heart. And it is so scary for many of us, especially the church of us in this room. I think it's so much better for people that thought that God was a jerk all their life. You know? And, then, and they've, been, they've been hitting the party scene and relationship after relationship. And they come to church and they experience Holy Spirit. And they see that Jesus is a treasure and God is a loving Father. And they're like, way better. Way better than the world. Oh, but church people that have been taught to guard the affections of their soul from the one in whom they were created by and for, church people. That's, that's a tougher crowd. And I think Holy Spirit wants to create a new cry in our hearts. Say, Abba, that's hold me, Daddy. Hold me down. This is what the Holy Spirit is crying out in sons and daughters. And church, that for so long we've pushed it down. And I think, you want to talk about new beginnings? How about this? How about a new beginning where you let Holy Spirit actually be God in your life? And where you submit to the cry. Where you say, I want to see myself as a son. I want to see myself as a daughter in Christ for the very first time. I think God would astound us if we just took all inhibitions off and just said, I trust you enough to do whatever you want to do in me. Now, so when we're talking about revival, I'm talking about we want to see the Holy Spirit wreck us and wipe us out in the most massively biblical ways. We want to see Jesus as the treasure that he is. We want to know that God is a father who wants us back and wants the world back. But often when God moves in revival, and here's the whole part I'm getting to, and here's what I want to just like, drink deep here, guys. Because often when God moves in revival, it's different than we expected. Now I would even say different than we wanted. Have you ever studied revival in the church? Barely anybody saw it coming. <laughs> no, no, nobody saw it coming. Nobody thought that during the Black Plague, revival would break out on the earth, but it did. Nobody ever thought that, you know, in the, as, as America is breaking off from its relationship with England, revival would break out in the colonies, but it did. No, nobody ever thought that, that when persecution came to the early church, it would mean massive global evangelism because the church is spreading in the midst of tyranny. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody thought in the early church, hey, if we just gather and we hang out for a few days, the 120 of us, Holy Spirit will come and fall and change us and wreck us and make the world think that we're drunk, but we'll know who we are, sons and daughters. Nobody ever saw this coming. And often when God moves, it's different than we respected. And here's, here's the thing. We don't recognize it for the revival that it is. Many of us say, man, we're not in our own facility. We're not in an air-conditioned school anymore. Wow, we've... We're in a tent, ew, 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 yeah. And I wanna tell you, this is, this is, this is the heart of the Father. God, God wants it. <laughs> Just because comfort has vanished this mother, I've worshiped Jesus in Haiti. This is like the Ritz <laughs> compared to that, guys. And their services are like nine billion hours long, all right? This is, this is nothing. 
but they'll hike from regions around to worship God for 19 hours with their kids. And that's when you're lovesick, it's just how you roll. And you don't need comfort to tell you how to operate, when to leave, how crazy to get. Do you know that people didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah when he came? You know that? You know that, you do know that, right? It's actually the religious people that opposed the Son of God. They're preaching about the Messiah coming and blazing glory on a horse as a, uh, as a liberator of Roman tyranny. And so they're looking for a muscle-bound religious zealot that has fighting skills. And they're, they're not looking for Jesus. And here, the religious people are the people that miss him for the most part. Biblically speaking, people didn't recognize Jesus when he came. They, they expected something different. And so guys, I, I, the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm imploring you as a, as a brother, as an uncle, as a father, I'm imploring you as a friend to not miss the move of the Spirit in our day. It happens all throughout history but press in and press in. Listen to this, I, uh, my family has uh, a seven and a half month old uh, golden doodle. He's for sale, all right? I, to the highest bidder, you can have him, all right? Um, but uh, what I found is that he grows hair so rapidly um, and he doesn't shed and so it's wonderful. And, he, the, the longer his hair gets, the cuter he gets, and the more my, my kids love him, the more my wife loves him, honestly, the more I love him, the hairier he gets. And he got so hairy that he couldn't see anymore. He's like a sheepdog. He had, he had absolutely no ability to see. And I, I realized this. I took him to the park, uh, and I said, go get Ethan. And he, he's like stumbling. He, he cannot see. You know, there's an Ethan. You know, he had no clue whatsoever. And then, uh, so we decided that as cute as he is, because our, our kids would use him as a, as a cuddle toy on the couch, and I would even break my own rules. Oh, he's cute. Let him up on the couch, because I never imagined having a dog I'd let sit in my seat, but I do. I let, I let a champ sleep with my, uh, with my kids in their beds and stuff and all these things, but then I realized he, he's very shaggy. Let's get him trimmed. You ever trimmed a doodle before? You ever done that? We took him to get him trimmed, and when he came back, um, he looked horrible. He, uh, he looked absolutely like atrocious. Like they didn't trim him, they shaved him. <laughs> and I was like, uh, the dog under the fur is stupid. You know, I, I, this, you know, he's like, I thought he was bigger. I thought he was, I, I just thought he was better. He just looks dumb now. I, I, I can't, he can see, but who cares? I like him better blind. I, it's just, this is, this is not the pet that I thought I, I, I have. I don't want this pet. And so, so I warned the kids as they're getting ready to come home, they're at the pool and they're getting ready to come home. I said, champ looks a little different. Um, he's, he's been trimmed some. They're like, oh, we love champ. We'll never not love that dog. He's ours. He's ours. He's a part of the family. And so they get home and they see Champ and they all ran in different directions, scared. And then I, I promise you this, as sweet as my youngest is, she comes up to me crying and says, sell him, sell that animal. I don't want him anymore, he's ugly. And Champ comes in and she jumps on the couch and goes, ew, like this. I don't, I don't want the dog. I'm like, this is the same dog. Ethan's like, prove it. I don't believe he's a dog. He doesn't have the dog. That's not the dog I used to know. Grace is crying. I always wanted a dog, just not that one. I was, this is the same dog with not as much fur. Please believe me, it's the same dog. Sell him. We don't want him anymore. Guys, here's what I'm finding. 
is that sometimes the same God who moved in the past and he looked fuzzy back then, he looks di- he, it, it, the move looks different now. And we're like, we want that one. We want the fuzzy Jesus. Fuzzy Jesus that we read about and hear about. We want the fuzzy one. The one that we are comfortable with. Not the shaved down, reduced one that's just you get what you get. And here Jesus is like, don't miss my move just because it looks different than you thought. You can't miss this. You can't miss my move. Listen, it's the move of God today is going to look different today. Here's why. It's today. It's not yesterday. Like the stories of old, they inspire our hearts. But God wants to do a new work today that's going to be in line with the scriptures. It's not from God if it's not in line with this book. Okay? But it's going to look different in practical expression sometimes. And we can't miss it because it's not as fuzzy as we like. Or because we feel like God's calling us to dance. Or because we feel like God's calling us into deeper waters. And we even say, no, I, I like the kiddie pool. I want to stay right here. Listen, do yourself a fa- favor and the generations after you a favor and wade to the deep and trust God with what happens. That's going to scare the kids. Teachable moment. I think I want to sell this revival. And I want to welcome you to the kingdom where you can tr- trust your father who loves you. So what do we do when revival looks different than we expected? That's how I want to end. And here's two things that God put on my heart is that we have to embrace the discomfort of this season if we're going to harvest the fruit of this season. And that's really important. I've been a pastor for 20 years now, and I know, here's the thing, being a pastor in, in, in a, a market-driven society is you have to give people what they want to keep them comfortable. But listen, those days are like over. If, it, if it's not about Jesus and like reaching and changing a region and reaching people with the best news in the world and having your hearts completely ravished, then, then I, I am not interested in it anymore. I, I, I don't want to be a leader that tries to keep everybody happy. I want a leader that fearlessly walks into the future that God's leading us into. And that's just how it has to be. So, so if you want to embrace fruit in your season, you're, you're going to have to get out of bed and you're going to have to say, God, tell me what you want. And then you have to trust him when he does. But I'd also say this, and this is a real timely, I think, practical word, but we have to, we have to guard our hearts in seasons like this. When we're operating in revival, we're operating in discomfort, but do you know what? We've just come off of months of not being together. Um, I went to the Moody Bible Institute, and so I like D.L. Moody. He was a revivalist, he was a wild man, and he probably wouldn't be able to preach at his own school anymore, unfortunately. But I love D.L. Moody the man. I love the way the Moody Bible Institute started. And D.L. Moody said this, the best way to cool a fire is to separate the logs. So you get a big blazing fire with all kinds of logs in there. And he says, it's easy. If you, wanna, if you want the fire to go out, you just begin to push the logs apart so they're not burning together. They're burning separately on their own. And the fire will cool rapido that way. And, and this is, I think, that the season that we're in, it is a hardship. But in the midst of the hardship, the enemy is trying violently to get us separated. Like, with, with, with violence, the enemy is trying to separate us and push us to our own corners and push us to the extremes as long as we don't burn together. That's all he cares about. As long as you don't burn together, you can enjoy your own private individualistic fire. 
as long as you don't burn together. But here's the, the kind of fire that the Holy Spirit produces in the church requires community. And here's the other thing, it requires wind. I never knew that you need to start a fire, not just like by tossing a thing in there and hoping it burns, but if you blow on it, it spreads. And fire needs community and wind. And I know that us coming together, despite how we bother each other, is massively important. You just write grace over that, and we say, you know what? I'm not going to stop revival. Because revival isn't ultimately for you and me. Revival is ultimately for Jesus, lifting him up, changing the world. We're the privileged sons of God. A part of it. And so I would say, guys, if there's anybody today that you have a problem with in your heart, you have to run to them. There's no other option. You have to run to people that you, if you bother somebody else, you have to run to them. You can't settle for burning your own fire in your own way. We are a community fire. It feels like a fire in here. I'm feeling the effects of fire right now. It's dripping off my face and it's in my nostrils of fire but I would rather burn with you than burn by myself being angry at you from a distance and that the church just has to learn how to do that do you know that when you come together have you ever been angry at somebody and it's so easy to be angry at them when you're arguing with them not in the room when you're angry with them in your head and then you get to say what you think they would say and it's just ticking you off, but they're not saying it. It just, feel, it just feels good to you. Like, oh man, I'm beating them up. Spiritually, verbally, this is fun. But the anger dissipates when you get into bread. You're like, yeah, they're a real person. <laughs> I forgot. Oh yeah, that God loves them as much as he loves me. I forgot. I, man, they're, they're just, oh yeah, oh yeah. And guys, I, I'm committed to you if, if we can be committed to this. I'm committed to you. I, I'm committed to walking with you. You can be angry at me. I like that. We'll hug you. Especially if you're angry at me, I want to encourage you to hug me now. I want to give you a, a bath and a sweat just to get back at you just a little bit. You know, it'll be fun. And, but, but we have to learn how this looks together because the enemy is trying to cool us off and Jesus is trying to light us up. And he's, he's, it's not going to look like fake substitutes. It's got to be the real thing or nothing. So here's my prayer this morning, and I don't even know what time it is, so let me, let me just, let me pray this. But I wanna invite you to wildly, courageously, if you've ever operated in courage ever in your whole life, let now be the moment where you open your heart to God, and maybe right now just close your eyes a moment. Maybe you've never called dad, or you never called God dad, or you've never referred to God as father. You've never uh, unleashed the Abba cry that Holy Spirit is, is wanting to scream inside of you. I just, I just encourage you right now to welcome that cry and to call God Father and say, Father, I just welcome you to come running down my road and to tell me who I am. And some of you, you have never seen Jesus as a treasure, just a means. He's just a good example and you've tried to follow it unsuccessfully. Jesus ultimately came not to be your example, but to be your righteousness. So Jesus, we, you've given us a gift, and we want to treasure you as greater than anything else. And Holy Spirit, oh, we've kept you at arm's length for so long, and we want you to ravish us. We 
want you to take us to places where you want us to be. And God, and I pray that in, in the midst of all this, in the context of family, that we would get things right together and walk in a, in a new future together. As messy as that is, as sweaty as it gets, we don't care. We just want you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.